Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from 4 Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickheads you could say it's just it's, they're just there's good racing and i enjoy it mm. from the racetracks across australia and around the world here's inside supercars hello and welcome once again to inside supercars my voice not getting much better as you can tell but two men in fine voice are from vedex magazine adrian Mussolino. good evening adrian good evening craig hope the voice comes back soon Yes, so do I. Ben Norton's from Inside Motorsport, and he joins us as well. Good evening, gentlemen, and uh, it sounds like we'll do most of the talking to give Craig a bit of a rest. And, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And I can hear the listener is cheering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> New Zealand. What a, what a weekend we're going off to New Zealand. It could be a real joker in the pack, Adrian. It could. This is the event that I looked at at the start of the season and thought this could be the championship wildcard. Last time we went there was in April last season, and it's such a great track. It's a very old-school, flying, fast circuit, and um, the sprint format really suits there because the cars can follow each other nicely. There's good overtaking opportunities as part of that new sequence of corners on the back straight, and we've you know got a bit of a championship run. Obviously, Mark Winterbottom is still... Slightly comfortable, not as comfortable as he was pre-Gold Coast. So it does shape as a really important round. He needs to grab back that momentum from Craig Lowndes. Otherwise, he sort of heaps that pressure on and he won't want to be heading to Sydney with Craig Lowndes right up his backside. And, of course, Scott McLaughlin with two wins, Peter, at the circuit last year, has obviously hoping that Volvo's found its form. Yes, you're right. The, the, the trips to New Zealand had a, a bit of a, a habit of bringing out the, the local heroes, didn't it? Uh, who can forget how uh, Craig Murphy dominated that uh, track for, for many, many years. Um, it's almost like he grew an extra leg when he was racing there. And uh, to me, that there's been quite a transformation. Um, of course, uh, the New Zealand round was held at Hamilton for a couple of years. Uh, but then when it returned to uh, Pakakoi, the... Uh, they had those uh, changes to the track that Adrian mentioned. And to me, that really changed the, the style of racing there. The, those, uh, that changed a couple of corners, uh, created new interest. And uh, the last couple of years, I've really enjoyed the racing there. There's been some good dicing, uh, a couple of uh, suicide passing manoeuvres that got uh, people speculating and arguing about things. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And, uh, and as you pointed out, that the Volvo, which has been in the wilderness for most of this year, uh, has found a, a bit of speed uh, recently and, uh, more importantly, a bit more reliability. Um, adding to that, the uh, the crowd support and all of those sorts of things, um, yeah, maybe the Volvo gets to shine. Yeah. And, of course, I, I made a mistake there, so thanks for not pulling me up. Uh, McLaughlin got two pole positions last year. His only win at Pukekohe was in 2013 when he was still in the Holden. But of the current drivers... It's almost as if Jason Bright has got the best form of the circuit, closely followed by Garth Tander. Yeah, well, Jason, um, he won the first Jason Richards Memorial Trophy, um, fittingly as 
Jason's former teammate and in the number eight POC car. And, you know, he, he has had good form there. And, you know, as Peter touched on, the circuit has changed quite a bit. You know, that those sequence of sort of three corners has really changed the dynamics of it, given us a new overtaking sort of spot on the circuit. But for, for me, one of my favourite sections is that run onto the front straight, that sort of quick left and right. And it's not much of a straight, but it's such a fantastic run. And from from what I have understood from teams is that they've always struggled for a setup there because it's a real compromise between the long straights and the corners. So um, we, we have had those surprise winners and hopefully it continues this weekend, I think. Mm. That could, in a way, suit Mark Winterbottom if there's you know a number of contenders and Craig Lowndes get to shuffle a bit in the pack. Peter, it's going to be interesting because Lowndes, he does need to, to pull more points of the 150 variety that he managed to do at the Gold Coast over Winterbottom to keep himself in it. Yes, I think you're spot on there. The, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, Winterbottom has enjoyed some pretty good performances uh, in New Zealand there. Um, now, it hasn't always uh, come out on the top step, but always been quite competitive. And uh, what sprung to mind when I mentioned some of the suicide passing manoeuvres is uh, some epic battles there between Winterbottom and Win Win Cup. So that's why I'd expect Winterbottom to be somewhere towards the pointy end. Uh, Craig Lowndes, it's a bit of a lucky dip, isn't it? Um, When he has a bad day, he has a shocking day with qualifying and then has to battle for the rest of the day. That works okay in the longer races. Um, We've seen that... uh, uh, in a couple, and I, I think the, the Gold Coast in particular, uh, salvaged very good points because of the length of the race made up for some uh, pretty ordinary qualifying. Uh, and I guess you could almost say the same for Bathurst. Um, uh, long race, overcome uh, a, a, a pretty poor qualifying as well. I don't expect him to have that second chance uh, against a, a poor qualifying result in New Zealand. So I, I think this may be the... Uh, that turning point where it becomes uh, not not just a, you know, a mathematical chance, but it becomes quite unlikely that Lowndes can uh, bridge the gap. And we've got to remember as well that um, the last two years that we've gone there, PSG has been very strong. Winterbottom won the Jason Richards Memorial Trophy last year. So with that new FGX and the updated aero package, which we've seen has been such a dramatic improvement at most circuits, at this sort of fast-flowing circuit, you'd think that would, you know, give Winterbottom that extra momentum. And, and with Chaz Moster not there, he's going to have preferences in terms of pit lane strategy and, and the like. And um, the focus on for the team will be solely on him. And, you know, I think that, as Peter said, it could be the weekend that sort of Winterbottom puts a sort of full stop on the championship. Yeah, indeed. Well, we need to take a break, but there's plenty more about New Zealand when we return on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bought Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. And uh, with Adrian Mussolino and Peter Norton. And guys, two years ago we saw the return to Pukekohe. We saw the, uh, well, maybe not the return to Pukekohe, but we saw the Anzac Day weekend. And from every report I got, it was a massive success for races over the course of the three-day weekend. But we've never seen it again. Adrian, we've now got the race. Nowhere near Anzac Day. It's in fact, it's closer to Remembrance Day than Anzac Day. And perhaps was it just that weekend being too sacrosanct, or was it that you know this time of year is a better time of year to be in New Zealand? Yeah, I think it was a case of the November date suited the locals more um, for some reason. I think. The problem with Anzac Day as well was sitting around the actual day itself, which, as we know, tends to move around um, in terms of the actual day of the week at land. So it was always going to be difficult. And that April sort of time slot was was always difficult because you've had around that time Simmons Plains and, you know, the Grand Prix was scheduled to be in early April and then that moved. So there was a number of factors factors in that period where it was just difficult to slot. And I think the SFGAS has tried to pad out that post-Bathurst period and by putting in a sort of another marquee-type event in that area and around when the championship's really at its peak, it suited best. But, you know, it, it is difficult given the shipping and the sort of, you know, the flights over and things like that for those Tassie and New Zealand rounds. So uh, my understanding was they needed to be separated on the calendar as such. And, of course, yeah, you're almost getting Tassie, New Zealand, Perth, and there's not too many longer trips than that. Yeah, Craig, you you make an interesting point, though, about the the promotability of Anzac Day. Uh, The AFL has done extremely well at creating some of the the classic match-ups at certain points of the year or or certain themes for uh, certain weekends. And Anzac Day is, is one that uh, sticks in my mind as being uh, uh, particularly good. So, um, you know, maybe that's a future direction for V8 supercars is, um, you know, selecting a particular theme for otherwise, you know, perhaps routine weekends uh, to, you know, to give some, uh, you know, have a heritage weekend or, you know, as we're talking about, an Anzac Day weekend to... Uh, roll out the, the special liveries, uh, put on some special other celebrations to make the, the whole weekend at the track to be more inclusive of some of the other things that uh, could make it a, a topical and enjoyable weekend. Mm. There's no doubt that this race is well supported and Adrian, it wouldn't matter when they put it on. It was always going to get a crowd. Absolutely, and, and no more than in a time when you've got three race-winning Kiwis and you know, a Kiwi scenes entry um, driven by a young New Zealander. So, you know, when you look at the quality of what New Zealand's um, putting into VS supercars, you know, it's always going to be well supported. And I think in the Docklands, Coulthard and Van Gisbergen, they have probably you know, three 
the most exciting drivers on the grid. So, you know, it's always going to be a huge event. I think what's helped VS Supercars this year through pure luck is the fact that you've had Australia up against New Zealand in the Rugby World Cup the week before. So they've sort of, you know, um, guided the marketing around that sort of battle, the Aussies versus the Kiwis, and I think that might help the event. But as you said, I think it's always going to get a crowd. It always did back in the Greg Murphy days, and it did from the moment it came back in 2013. It's such a good track. It's easy to get to, and, um, you know, it's the only round, the Supercars round in New Zealand. So it's always going to get a huge crowd, no matter where it is in the calendar. Mm. Yeah, Peter, uh, you mentioned about... uh, Well, actually, Adrian, you said it, and I'm surprised you did, being a soccer mad... Italian, Australian, you actually said World Cup. So uh, uh, yes, I, didn't think acknowledged, uh, I didn't think you acknowledged that. But uh, Someone had to go and mention the bloody rugby, didn't they? Yeah, someone right. had to. Yeah, right. and someone who right. follows soccer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, who's going to win, Adrian? I think Mark Winterbottom will win it. And as I said before, I think this will be the turning point of the championship battle. I think Gold Coast was a bit of an anomaly. It just didn't pan out for him. He hasn't had too many bad weekends this year. Um, that was probably his worst. But I just think that car, you know, from what we've seen throughout the season, the sprint race format suits that car. They qualify well. You tend to finish where you qualify in sprint races. And he'll bounce back. He knows more than anyone that this is his best chance for that championship. And the stars have all aligned this year and... He really needs to cement it before Sydney because, as we've seen before, Sydney can be a wild card weekend when anything can happen. So I think this is the weekend where he really cements it. Mm, all right. Well, it's going to be an interesting one, Peter. You uh, on the same horse? Um, I might be a little bit cheeky and uh, suggest, uh, in similar equipment, David Reynolds. He's got a fair bit to prove. Um, he'd like to be a New Zealander, so he has another chance at a seat for next year, but that's unlikely to happen. Um, yeah, I, I think Adrian's uh, correct with his analysis that the, the Falcon does have the edge and it's a, a track that should reinforce that little advantage. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to take something uh, a bit unusual for a, a pro-drive car not to uh, be at the pointy end. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, with, with Chaz out, that that makes it harder for one of their cars so I think it is between uh, Reynolds and Winterbottom. Alright and uh, any comment to make on the fact that a woman this week won the Melbourne Cup the great horsing race of this country? Uh, yes I, I immediately had some thoughts there about uh, uh, David Reynolds and uh, his uh, poking fun at the, at the well Reading between the lines, he didn't directly say it. Um, he was poking fun at the uh, the ability of the, of the ladies uh, to, to pilot uh, something that's tricky. Uh, and in particular, I uh, loved some of the, the quotes from uh, Michelle Payne, the Melbourne Cupy, Melbourne, Melbourne Cup winning jockey. Uh, she mentioned uh, being at a, a chauvinistic sport and uh, that uh, you know, some, some of the owners didn't want her to uh, be riding the horse. Uh, and she basically said to him, get stuffed. And uh, I think some of those words may be uh, uh, directed towards people like David Reynolds as well. Mm. It was a, an interesting post-race interview, Adrian. I don't know if you caught it. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, it, you know, horse racing, like motorsport, has that unique ability to 
put men and women together and, and in the same series racing against each other. You know, most codes split based on gender and have a female-male league. So I think that's one of its great strengths. And I think both sports have done not a great job in utilising that advantage. And, you know, what we saw at Bathurst with the all the attention the all-female entry received, it, it was such a shame for Dave Reynolds' comments to overshadow all that. So I, I think the, the more achievements there are, like like we saw today at the Melbourne Cup, the, the more accepting people are going are to be and should be because, as I said, that gender equality is such a unique thing. It should be really celebrated and taken advantage of. Yeah, indeed. We'll take a break here on Inside Supercars. Plenty more about David Reynolds when we return. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Peter Norton and Adrian Mussolino. And talking about David Reynolds before the break. Now, I just have to ask the question. Reynolds and ProDrive, they break up at the end of the year. Who is the bigger loser, Adrian? Gee, it's a tough one. Um... I think obviously it's Dave Reynolds because he will lose a race-winning car underneath him and wherever he goes, it will be a downward step. Um, it looks as though there's two options for him, one at Erebus and one at Brad Jones Racing. Um, both, there's a question mark over given the need for funding. So he's the definite loser there. He, he held out too long waiting, hoping that they would re-sign him and, Clearly, things didn't go his way, and you know it's not a good situation to be in when you've got a young, up-and-coming driver dominating the second-tier series, who's within the team already and is after and after your seat. So he'd definitely be the bigger loser. ProDrive stands to benefit from Cam Waters, um, you know, graduation up to main game, not only in terms of his talent, but also in terms of the end and sponsorship that he brings. So yeah. It's, it's not a good situation for Dave Reynolds to be in. And, you know, you just think how he he would wish he could have gone back a couple of months and taken up the offers from the likes of Brad Jones that he had on the table. Mm. Peter? Uh, I find this one quite a pickle. Uh, David, he's a very good driver, obviously. Um, he's everyone's mate. Uh, and I think we all know that he didn't mean any malice by the comments that he made. Uh, it's just the, the joking kind of character that he is. Um, and also sort of picking up some of the, uh, uh, I, I, dare I say it, the, the male chauvinistic attitude that is uh, in a lot of pit lane. Um, he was just unfortunate enough to uh, uh, say the joke uh, on a day where uh, Katie Page from Harvey Norman was getting the VIP treatment along pit lane. Um, it was just awful luck for him. And, it's you know, also been said 
that he says that at the Winton press conference and it goes completely unheralded, uh, well, not heralded, it goes completely unreported and everyone who chuckled still chuckles because that's the thing. There's a lot of people that laugh when he says it at that press conference and some of those people have hung him for it later. But, But it wasn't necessarily the diehards that we have on this show or that write in the other major motorsport publications that hung him for it. It was the fact that you had um, Channel 9, Channel 7, other other journalists who are looking for every story and then that became a, a story that would get a lot of run. I think you're spot on. Uh, he's a victim of uh, very unfortunate timing for, for making that comment. And uh, as I said, I, I don't think he meant anything spiteful about it. It was a light-hearted quip, um, and uh, it uh, surely has backfired on him. Um, now, I think there's a lot of things going for Dave, but in the back of my mind is also a few question marks. Um, over the last couple of years, we've uh, celebrated that the young guns coming through, uh, that the younger drivers were not just making up the numbers, but they were finally getting wins. Dave was one of the last of that new younger generation to take a chequered flag. Um, and he had good equipment for a lot of that time, but he just couldn't string the magic together. So uh, that's why I hesitate somewhat uh, about you know, the, the people who say that he's a, a wonder child behind the wheel. Um, he's definitely very good, but maybe he's not quite as good as, uh, as people might make out. Uh, so that's why I hesitate a bit. Um, it would be a, definitely a, a loss for the series if he had to sit out a year or something to uh, you know, try to get a plum seat back because um, he's a very good driver and he adds character and personality. It just needs to be a little bit careful. So, Adrian, can the series afford to lose someone like Dave Reynolds? It, it can't in the sense that it needs all the personality that it can get. And we've complained before about how vanilla some of the drivers are. And here's, here's someone who he's not afraid to say what he thinks and he celebrates in unusual ways. And and he's a quick driver, as you've seen. Um, as Peter said, there has been an inconsistency there and... You know, he, he's had good patches and bad patches, but he definitely deserves to be on the grid. And if you think of the 26 most deserving drivers, he'd be one of them. But, you know, I think people are quick to point out the Bathurst comments as the reason he's going to miss out. It's just a case of this has been one of the craziest silly seasons we've seen in a while. And when the music was playing, he too long and didn't grab one of the seats available and he's left standing at the moment. You know, there were offers from Brad Jones Racing to replace Fabian Coulthard in the Freightliner entry and he was waiting out for ProDrive to recommit and Brad Jones went to someone else and and he missed out. So, you know, we... This is a case of just bad timing and, you know, let's hope he does grab one of those remaining seats is the few still going and you know he could really benefit someone like DJR in terms of you know he, he could it could really galvanize him as a driver and give him the chance to take that team leader role which if you think about where he's at the moment he's had to play third fiddle behind Chaz Moster and Mark Winterbottom. Mm. Yeah it's going to be interesting. It leads me to another question 
Adrian, who are the drivers the series can least afford to lose? I think the big one without question is Craig Lowndes, and we saw that again here at Bathurst, just how popular he is. And, you know, he's not getting any younger, but in saying that, he doesn't seem to be getting any slower. So I think he's still got a few good years in him yet, but I think what Fiat Supercars really needs to start doing is preparing for the post Lowndes era and building up more the likes of Mark Winterbottom and Jamie Winkup and Shane Van Gisbergen because they don't have the appeal anywhere near what Craig Lowndes has. And I'm not sure they ever will because Craig has that link to the previous generation through Peter Brock and it's difficult for these new drivers to stand out from the crowd. But once he sort of steps back from full-time driving, it'll be difficult for someone to take that mantle as a crowd favourite. So I think definitely Craig. Dave, as we said, adds a lot in terms of his humour and his appeal. Um, but apart from that, you know, you wouldn't say too many. It's still... Well, for most okay. drivers, they still play second fiddle to the manufacturers and the teams themselves. So I'll, I'll run a couple of names by you. The, the next most recognisable name, I think, safe to say, is James Courtney. Would it matter if James Courtney wasn't in the series? Well, we saw that this year when he sort of was forced out with injury. It didn't detract too much from those events. Now, that's no no disrespect to James. It's just the nature of the series at the moment where you have so many drivers on a sort of level playing field in terms of appeal that when one goes missing, you don't tend to notice it as much. Whereas I think if you took a Craig Lowndes out of it, you would notice that in terms of the appeal at the events, you know, at the autograph sessions and the like. Um, the Courtney's, Tanders, Winterbottom's, Wing Cups of the world. It's hard to distinguish if one has a greater fan base than the other. They tend to be on an even keel. And most of their support base seems to be from the team that they're driving for. I'm going to disagree there, actually. I think uh, James Courtney brings more to the sport than we realise. And in particular, when he's winning. With his uh, theatrics in, uh, in victory lane, so to speak, um, Frank the Tank and the carry-on like that, uh, it's a standout. And you know, Winterbottom's not too bad, but Jamie Winkup was awful in that uh, post-race celebrations. Um, that's where Courtney shines. That's where we need him. All right. What about if Garth Tander announced his retirement at the end of the year, Peter? Would that cause much angst in the promotion of V8 supercars? I think that would uh, have a fairly low impact. Um, and, and actually, uh, I'm chuckling here thinking about it. One name that we're, uh, well, maybe on your lists, but uh, one that springs to mind is uh, uh, a name that we really can't afford to lose, but I guess we are, Marcus Ambrose. What he, a he, left about, he left about 10 years ago, didn't he? <laughs> I'm thinking about how much of a boost we had when he came back. And unfortunately, he didn't perform. But the, I'm thinking about the autograph lines in the, uh, behind the pits at Bathurst. Um, his uh, popularity was still extremely strong, and it's a bit of a loss. It's a bigger loss losing Ambrose than if Tanda retired at the end of the year. Okay. It's, it's definitely one of the most unusual stories of the year. I was only thinking of today um, while writing a feature that whole Marcus Ambrose saga, it promised so much 
and it just petered out so early. And, you know, we're going to look back and think, you know, what could have been had he either come back earlier or committed to this year or it's just such an unknown and we're still really none the wiser either as to why he made that decision I know he's explained it but it still seems so unusual and um, Peter's right you know we didn't even think of Marcus and, and that's and we could have seen him race his last VS supercar race on the Gold Coast and you know no fanfare as part of that he might just slip into the night which is very sort of Unfortunate, given he's a two-time champion. Mm. What about are the drivers coming through then? Would a Van Gisbergen leaving? Would a Scott McLaughlin leaving? Would a uh, um, James Moffat leaving cause more trouble for the sport than if the Kellys packed up and retired? I think the thing about that younger generation, and, and this links back to what we saw with Marcus Ambrose leaving for NASCAR, we want them to hang around as long as possible all together because I think we're in for some epic battles in the years to come with McLaughlin, Mostert, Van Gisbergen, Scott Pye, Nick Burkett. They're all of that same age. They're all, they've all sort of stamped their authority and established themselves within the series. And if they all hang around together, we're in for that another generation, the likes we saw with Wind Cup and Winterbottom and, and Lowndes and the Kellys. So we need them all to stick together as a group and race through. And I guess the benefit that BS Supercars has as opposed to other codes is that there's not many options for them to leave. You're not going to see too many decide to pack up and go race German touring cars or world touring cars. You know, Marcus Ambrose was tempted by NASCAR, but what he proved was how hard it was and how long he had to commit over there to just, you know, make it at that top-tier level. So... I think the sport can afford to lose any of them at this time because it just sets up the next generation that we might you know, look back at them as the Gen 2 generation and and we're in some, for some pretty exciting racing given the different personalities and driving styles that they bring. Mm. Well, we need to take a break here on Inside Supercars. There's plenty more when we return. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Peter Norton and Adrian Mussolino joining me, Craig Revell. And uh, if my voice holds out, I've got a couple of, well... I think we could go pretty deep with them, but we'll start, first of all, the 12-hour under V8 supercars control, and it is really growing. It is uh, now got the benefit of Lowndes and Tanda confirmed in the race. Adrian, what's that going to mean? It's a fantastic combination, which, ironically, given they've been around for so long, they've never teamed up, they've never been teammates, they've never been co-drivers, so... It's funny that it's taken a Bathurst 12-hour to bring them together. And 
and you know, as we were saying earlier, if you think of household na- names, Lowndes is probably the first one you come up with, and Tanda through pure success and longevity is not far behind. So for them to team up, you know, that immediately makes them one of the fan favourites. And you know, I think where the twelve hour might have struggled previously is that the driver recognition wasn't there, especially last year without or this year without the VF Supercar drivers there. To have Tanner and Lowndes together in the same car, it just immediately gives the event that headline entry and, you know, it's exactly what VF Supercars would have wanted now that they're behind the promotion, two of their stars together to promote the event. All right, Peter. Um, yeah, I think Adrian's points there about the calibre of Lowndes and Tanner are spot on. But just thinking through it, they've been enemies for years. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, for many of the more recent years, uh, both under the Holden banner, uh, but oh, there's been some ding-dong battles over the years that uh, have been quite fierce. Um, so, yeah, it's, I'm finding it quite unusual to think about them racing uh, you know, in, the, in the same car. Um, yes, I'm excited by the opportunities for the the V8 supercar uh, drivers to uh, end up in something uh, competitive at Bathurst in February. Um, also, by raising the profile of the event, it has to then you know, entice some of the uh, other international stars as well. Um, there was speculation uh, or more than a year ago about Mark Webber um, you know, driving a Porsche. Uh, maybe not uh, of the, the calibre he races for a full-time gig, but uh, you know, even just for a you know, hit-and-giggles kind of uh, weekend, Mark Webber teaming up with a mate in a Porsche, uh, that would be great for the event as well. There's so many promotional opportunities uh, that are available because, hey, how many drivers are on the grid with uh, you know, three or so cars or three or so drivers per car? Um, it's going to be a huge list of uh, hopefully very strong names. Mm. All right, heading back to New Zealand now. Question for you, Adrian. Who's the best ever New Zealand driver that we've seen in Verd Supercars or the Touring Car Championship in Australia? I think Greg Murphy. Um, he's the first name that comes up. You can't, you know, his Bathurst record um, is great. I mean, obviously, Jim Richards was of a different era. Um, and if you, we're talking about Supercars era, I'd say Greg Murphy, I think. Jim Richards was the one who started the obviously he sort of um, broke open the dam and, and and sort of paved the way for fellow New Zealanders. But whenever I think of New Zealand, I think of those Pukekohe rounds with Murph in the Kmart car, and then you think of the lap of the gods and and the like. And um, he's really the one who stamped his authority on the series from a New Zealand point of view. And when you look at the McLaughlins and Van Gisbergen and Coulthards, they all looked up to him as, as kids. And um, it's hard not to think of him when you're heading off the two, shall we? All right, Peter. I was trying to think of things to be argumentative um, and you know, even go back into the history books of Robbie Francovic and things like that. Um, yeah, they're not going to work, uh, I think, Murphy, uh, hands down. And what will be fascinating over the, the coming years is um, well actually links to our previous uh, topic about uh, drivers that left and that you know the speculation of uh, oh would, would we lose much if Van Gisbergen retired? Don't forget that he did. He just came back very quickly. Um, I think Van Gisbergen has the making of one of the greats. Uh, whether he turns out to be better than Murphy remains to be seen. Um, this season he hasn't been uh, uh, at, at the top, 
Um, yeah, last year I think he was very impressive. Uh, next year, under you know, proper Triple Eight uh, uh, umbrella, um, yeah, make or break year for his level of greatness next year. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, Peter Walsh, there, best New Zealand driver of the season, McLaughlin and Van Gisbergen have had tough ones. So, who do you go for the best NZ driver? Um, does Stephen Richards count himself as a New Zealander or just from New Zealand parents? No, I think he does claim it. Yep, um, I can't think of many wins uh, for New Zealanders this year. Uh, yeah, that, to be argumentative again, I'll go for, for Richards. All right, Adrian? Well, I think Fabian Coulthard to me is the one who stood out. He... Yeah, McLaughlin and Van Gisberg have had up and down years, and when I've been on it, I've been really on it, but I've had sort of drops in form for McLaughlin. That's obviously been tough years for Volvo uh, on a reliability front, but Coulthard in that Brad Jones racing entry, he, he consistently has punched above his weight, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him in the DJR Team Penske FGX next year. I think he could... And that team could really surprise a lot of people and they've showed that potential and two cars and a year under their belt, they're really going to be up there and, um, you know, again, he, he could be one who impresses this weekend and he flies under the radar a lot and next year it could be his chance to shine. All right. And uh, Peter? Oh, sorry. Uh, just finally, with the situation with the Rex and who can afford what, can we expect to see teams going to five or even six cars under their control just to be able to afford their supercars in the future, Adrian? It's a tough one. I, I think four's always been the limit that VS Supercars saw is almost, you know, the the maximum an entry sh- and a team should have and when you look through the teams that have run four cars, none of them have done so with, you know, all four cars at the top of their form. And it always it's always one or two entries a lot higher than the other two. And I think when you're getting to five, six cars, it just becomes too much. And then the, the power is sort of centralised between three or four big outfits. And we want to see the likes of Lucas Umbrell and Techno and those sorts of teams be able to put in performances equal to the triple eights and the PRAs of the world so I think four should be the maximum and as I said you look at some of the four team four teams um four car teams that are running at the moment they're struggling to find sponsorships for for next year so I think that's the maximum we should go to. Anna? Um, I can see a lot of uh, you know, discussion about economies of scale and the bigger you are, then it's cheaper to produce the next widget. Um, but I'm with Adrian. I think four is the, the sweet spot. Um, we don't want empires built that are so dominant in terms of uh, you know, providing components and uh, you know, influence in terms of uh, you know, the, the whole of the sport. Uh, and I think you'd get that if you only had... You know, a couple of smaller teams, and then two or three that had had you know, five or six cars. Um, it'd become a very lopsided championship. So uh, uh, my mind goes back to the days where you could only have two. And of course, the uh, uh, Holden Racing team and the HSV team it was awkward. You know, all of the shenanigans around sharing data and all of that kind of hassle. Um, 
I think uh, Jason Bright's team was handicapped somewhat because it was perceived that Brightech was getting technical support and sharing data with FBR as it was back in the day. Um, so, yeah, two's too small and it was unpoliceable. I think four is a practical limit. Mm. Well, it'll be interesting to see how things do pan out with the number of cars under control. Guys, we have to uh, have a final break now and then back with a final thought or observation here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two level two boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to grab, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. A final thought or observation, Adrian Mussolino? Well, I was just wondering, we've been speaking about the success of the New Zealand round, and given all the talk about the supercars expanding its calendar, you just wonder if it's time to consider a second event in New Zealand. I know that's been much discussed, and the different possibilities have come up with you know, hands and downs and highlands and those types of tracks but the popularity of the series over there the amount of drivers they have you know they have their own entry now I think it's time and it would be great to twin the two events together and it would really the more races the more events the better at the moment Depending on uh, final thought jumps ahead to the final race of this year's series Homebush wouldn't it be nice to have a wild card uh, particularly based on uh, a lady winning the Melbourne Cup today um, can we get uh, a, a lady driver in t- for a wild card for the last race? Mm. Or maybe just Marcus Ambrose for a swan song. Well, that should happen as well. <laughs> Guys, thanks very much for carrying me through another show here on Inside Supercars. Adrian, look forward to catching up with you very soon. Thank you, and hope you feel better. Yeah, Peter, all the best. Yep, get well soon, Craig. That's all we have time for on Inside Supercars this week. Till next time round, keep smiling, and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.